Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that doors are now open for our signature accelerator program. We are doing a major deal for this promo period where you get Critical Care Academy's CCRN review course absolutely for free as a bonus if you join us before May 4th. Our signature program is special because it's a one-time investment for lifetime access. There are no recurring fees. We want you to start this process early. So if you're in nursing school or if you are just starting the school search process, this is absolutely perfect for you. We walk you through picking schools, writing your resume, making sure you have all those boosters to make you stand out. We've got over 20 hours of video lessons along with an entire downloads vault of swipe files and templates. And of course, over 50% of the program is interview prep. We have five on-demand mock interviews. And then of course, a huge part of this is every month we have office hours where you can bring your questions and get answers. We have essay office hours with our expert developmental editor, Dr. Diane Katie. We have group mock interview practice labs, ad hoc guest speakers like SRNAs, and other faculty. It really is a comprehensive program. And once you are in, you are in for life. You can head to the CRNAclub.com to check it out. And again, the CCRN review course as a bonus that ends on May 4th. So if you are on the fence, shoot me a DM at the CRNA club. I am hanging out there, but otherwise let's jump into today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sierra Club podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Monir, who I've had the pleasure to get to know over the last, I think, year or so. But he's a current SRNA, and he has a very unique story to tell. And I am so glad, Monir, that you have agreed to come onto the podcast and share your story with us and pass along some words of wisdom. So welcome. Thank you, Satri. Monir and I connected last year when you were applying to CRNA school. You were trying to get everything together. You reached out via email and you were like, hey, I have some questions. Can we talk? And I was like, sure. And over you know, the next couple of months that followed, it was really clear to me that you had the drive, the dedication, and the grit to get there. And I, I'm so happy that now you are there. Now you are in CRNA school. But the process for you wasn't easy and you put in a lot of work. So that is one thing I really wanna, wanna talk, uh, talk about today. But now you're in your first semester of school, but why don't you take us back a little bit and talk to us about your like nursing journey and, and kind of how you decided you wanted to apply to CRNA school. Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to. And I appreciate you having me on and this is an honor and it's fun and it's a, it's a privilege. And so, you know, I, I'm, my journey was actually early on, uh, way before nursing school, I actually wanted to go to medical school. And it, that's how it actually started. And uh, because I've always had this sort of drive, I guess my, my focus throughout school was getting to the bottom of problems, like trying to solve problems. And, and through biology, chemistry, and these sorts of foundational sciences, I was really interested. And I pursued that route. I majored in biology and I double majored biology and chemistry. And, you know, unfortunately, as I guess fortunately or unfortunately, as an 18 year old, 19 year old who 
is ambitious but doesn't have the, the, the wisdom of the world yet or life experience, yeah, you kind of get overzealous and then you get, you get sloppy and then you just, you don't have established study patterns. You don't have an established uh, regimen, um, you know, as well as like, oh, being a freshman and it's so much fun and you're in a new environment and making all these friends. So needless to say, your, your schooling or my schooling took a, a hit. And I found myself, you know, year two, you know, kind of, you know, a little despondent. I was, I was kind of looking at my grades and I said, this is not good enough to get into medical school, you know, but I changed my major uh, a couple of times. And I just, I knew that I, I wanted to do something related to medicine. And I decided at that point to give nursing a try because I, I actually didn't know much about the profession wasn't familiar with the role or even advanced practice nursing. So I said, okay, I'm going to apply to nursing school and with the hopes of getting a couple of years of experience, and then I'm going to try again to get into medical school. <laughs> so I still had medical school on my, on my mind. And so I got into a nursing school. The program that I was in, it was very competitive actually to get in and it was highly selective and I even at that point, I still did extra things to sort of get in. There was a point system and you'd have to make a certain amount of points to, to, to get in. Long story short, I exceeded that and I was able to secure a spot. And throughout nursing school, I was still kind of lackadaisy about it. I wasn't too dedicated to it, you could say. And, you know, throughout this program, because it was challenging, I I kept hearing from my, my peers and my, even their instructors, they said, you know, just C's get degrees, you know, C's equal degrees. So we had that sort of motto. We're like, hey, it's okay. Just C's get degrees, right? So I got C's and I got a degree. <laughs> and after that, I landed in the surgical intermediate unit at a level one at the teaching hospital. I'm affiliated with the program that I was in. And I fell in love with it. I was just, I was really good at it. And the uh, nurse manager, she was like, oh, you know, Munir is like itching to, to leave the intermediate unit. I can tell they kind of planted the seed for me to, to, to make it to the ICU because, you know, I had to network there and I had to, I had to make connections in the intermediate unit to get to the ICU. So, you know, once in the ICU, that's when I really just fell in love with it. I really loved how sick patients were in the acuity and just figuring out what the problem was, like how I always, you know, solved problems. It, it just all came together and the reality of patients' lives and their, you know, medical conditions added to it, added to the excitement. And I was hooked and, and, and I still have that sort of excitement every time I talk about like, the hospital, ICU, high acuity, and so on and so forth. So, you know, that was, that was me getting to, just me getting as a, as a nurse, an ICU nurse at a level one hospital. It took a lot, it took a lot of different paths and what I initially thought I was going to be, I didn't end up. But ultimately I was unknowingly where I was at the time is where I needed to be. And that really set the foundation and the tone for the rest of my career and where I am today. And, you know, I'll just kind of summarize the, the, the catalyst was 
you know, two years into my ICU nursing career, I was set on being an ICU nurse for as long as it takes. I wasn't planning anything. I didn't envision advancing <laughs> just yet. I still was, actually, I still had the vision of going into medical school, but I didn't, I wasn't really proactive. So what happened was the catalyst, my, my older brother struggled throughout his life with, you know, psychiatric disease and also polysubstance use. And he was, he had a, just a golden heart. We were, you know, best friends and we were so close. And he came to, you know, death by suicide. And I, at that moment, you know, when the day that he died, I, I told myself, um, you know, I remember clearly, I said, you, you have two, two options. You can either let this consume you and it will take over your life. That would be the, the path, that would be, you know, one path, or I can turn this tragedy into a positive outcome. And so at that moment I said, you know, I'm going to apply to NP school. I'm going to apply to NP school because I want to help people just like him to in any way that I can. And I know it was a, it was a kind of a, a, a different path, a different shift than ICU, but there were some NPs there that kind of influenced me and I, I admired them, but I wanted a different change. I wanted a different scenery and I wanted something more out of the nursing career so that I can help people struggling with the same things that my brother struggled with, but at a quicker, you could say, a quicker path than medical school. And so I went to NP school and when I graduated, I worked in neurology and because I, you know, that's sort of a, I could tackle the, the psychological aspect of it along with the polysubstance use aspect. You know, I'm always trying to figure out the lowest hanging fruit. And for me, that was, you know, working in neurology. And from there, it was just a cascade of events of meeting people and meeting CRNAs and meeting influential people that sort of got me interested in CRNA school. And we can get into that later if you want, or if you want me to keep going, I can. Yeah, keep going. Tell us a little bit more about, so now you're meeting all these NPs. You did, you're, you're now an MP and then you've all of a sudden meet a CRNA. Was there, yeah, what was it about that that made you be like, oh, not did I choose the wrong thing, but oh, I kind of want to do that. Right. Yes, yes, thank you. So I, again, I didn't envision at that moment, being a CRNA, I wanted to focus on helping people as much as I can and, and move to Michigan, which was at that point in 2015 was the height of the opioid epidemic, I guess, in, in the state of Michigan at that time. And it was an eye opener for me. And the attendings that I worked with, they did a lot of procedures. So they did a lot of interventional pain, trigger point injection, Botox, nerve blocks, and so on and so forth, just to try to get patients off of these, these opioids. And I, I, I loved it too, because I, I worked with several patients who I, we were able to successfully get them off. And that was so, so just satisfying. And I felt like, wow, we're actually making a difference. We're you know, putting a small dent into this. And so it wasn't, it was not a, an individual CRNA that influenced me at that time. It was the patients. And they led me to interventional pain specialist where I observed procedures. And I, I said, wow, I can do this as a, 
as an NP or I guess as an advanced practice nurse and help people. So again, I'm, I'm going to the lowest hanging fruit. I'm trying to you know, get the fastest or the, the most readily available intervention that we, can, that we can do to help people similar to my brother by using problem solving mechanisms, like all the things that I, that I really, and so that's when I applied to CRNA school. I was unprepared. That, this was 2016 and I applied to one program only one, didn't realize all of the, the things that had to go along with it. And surprisingly, I got put on the waiting list. And I was, uh, I was like, okay, because I, I applied to this program that I knew people there. And they put me in, they connected me with the program director, or the assistant program director, actually both of them, and an ambassador, student ambassador that the program director knew. And I got waitlisted. After I got waitlisted, I said, I wanted to figure out why I got waitlisted. And the reasoning was at that time I needed to retake classes and I needed to have current bedside ICU experience. And as a new MP, I said, no, I don't want to go back and be a nurse right now. This is, this mm -hmm. is not the right time. I just feel like I can't go back to being a nurse right now. So there's something about being a new advanced practice nurse. You're, you're still trying to learn that role. And they're telling me that I have to go back to bedside, mm -hmm. you know. And mm -hmm. so at the time, it wasn't the right time. So I went on hiatus for a while. And, and I continued being a nurse practitioner. And I came to Pennsylvania, where I reside now, started working at the level one teaching hospital here. And without any intentions of reapplying to CRNA school, I thought, you know, I'm just gonna give it a shot. And I'm still working in neurology at this point. Well, the second catalyst that, that sort of changed my, influenced me, was my, my wife was giving birth and she, she wanted to tough it out because she's tough. But she said, I just need the epidural. I need an epidural. Okay, so got her the epidural. And she, is, she went from being in excruciating pain, writhing in pain that I have never seen before to, oh, hey, you know, this, this is great. This is such an enjoyable experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a miracle, miracle of the epidural. I know exactly what she's talking about, right? She's a different person. Right. She's like, this is a walk in the park. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was... I was shocked. I'm, I said, wow, this is impressive, you know? And, and so who did the CRNA was the one who did an epidural and I watched the procedure. And in fact, I was watching and I was like asking the CRNA questions and I was, you know, not holding my wife's hand and she still kind of tells me that to this day, but that's all right. You're more interested in about your future career path. It's all <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> and so that, at that time, I took it seriously. I took it more seriously than I have ever you know, considered it in the past. That year, I applied to four programs. I networked, I got letters of recommendations. And you gotta keep in mind, all these different schools have different requirements for even letters of recommendations. So I applied to four schools and each of them I had to get multiple letters of recommendation. Each of them I reached out and spoke with the program director. Personally, I either spoke on the phone had a Zoom meeting and almost, I, I, I almost met one of them in, in person, but we, it just didn't work out. But the point is I, I, I wanted it. I wanted this career path because again, that's knowing me is the lowest hanging fruit. 
it's the fastest relief for, you know, and, and, and you see it, it's, it's immediate, immediate physiological changes right before your eyes. And that's what got me really interested. So again, it was a patient, my wife, who got me interested. But unfortunately, or fortunately, I didn't get into any of those schools. In fact, I didn't even get waitlisted, which was really just demoralizing. I was, I was convinced that I wouldn't be able to be a CRNA because the four schools consistently said I needed to go back to the bedside. I needed to get recent ICU experience and I needed to retake some classes. And at this point in my life, you know, I'm newly married. I got a, a, a young newborn or a, that point she was a couple months but you know uh, young family you know and i couldn't envision myself going back to being bedside nurse you know financial obligations are another thing but the catalyst for everybody was covid and um you know at that point when you're when you're in quarantine you have time to think about things and you have time to reevaluate where you're going and where you're headed and what you want to do and all these good things and so all these ideas come to my mind and I start looking into the profession more and more seriously. And I, you know, my wife and I had discussed it and we talked about it over and over and over and we came up with a plan that I was going to take a leap of faith and resign my position and return to the bedside as a traveler. At that time, it was, it, it seemed like a, a good time to do so. And so that's what I did. And I returned back to the bedside after 10 years, little, little under 10 years, and I went back as a nurse disguised as a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, was, it was a very thing experience because I went back with a whole new view on the profession, a whole new worldview, you could say. Definitely more clinical knowledge, definitely more, I guess, an enhanced ability to communicate interprofessional and intraprofessional. And th those were kind of ingredients that I was missing in the past. And, and, and so I was a better nurse. I feel like I was a much better nurse, a better ICU nurse. And I actually paid attention to the why. And, and, I, and I really actually enjoyed being a nurse, as crazy as that might sound. I enjoyed being a nurse this time around because it was for a, a, you know, a different perspective and a, a, a goal, you know, a goal in mind and a vision. And so when you see a target, you're able to hit the target. You're not just aiming, you know, without regard to what you're going for. So. Yeah, I think that's it's really interesting that, not, that you were able to recognize the new view that you had as a bedside nurse with your education as a nurse practitioner. You were a, provi a provider, right? You were writing orders, consulting patients, you know, ordering consults as a nurse practitioner and working with the in interdisciplinary team at that level. And now you're back at the bedside asking for orders, trying to create change for your patients, you know, asking for things from people who are probably too busy. And you're like, I wish I could just write this myself, right? And it's a very humbling experience, I'm sure. And it was a very eye-opening experience for you to see not maybe how much you missed, but just a new layer of the onion peeled back that you didn't have before. So that is an incredible, you have an incredible story and an incredible journey and you can already see 
now that you're now we know kind of the end you're in CRNA school, but we can see, yeah, at that time how yes, demoralizing it is and how frustrating it is. And let alone to be making these decisions when you have a newborn baby who have, have you have a young child and then be at the height of the pandemic when who really wants to be going back to the bedside and work in the ICU, right? Like probably nobody, everybody's trying to like leave. So that was a huge decision and it really shows your commitment to wanting to pursue this CRNA path. So you got the recent bedside experience. And now for the people who maybe not are, maybe are not understanding why that was so important, did these program directors give you any rationale or now that you are in school, can you see why that recent experience, like hands-on bedside nursing experience could be important and valuable? Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, every piece of advice that I was given by program directors or the assistant program directors, whoever, I took it and acted on it. And I, I really took it seriously as if I were going to reapply to that particular program. So even though they might have you know, told me something that I might have thought, well, maybe I do need it, but maybe I, maybe I can do without this because I might not apply to this program. No, I, I really took it to heart and I, I acted on it. So when they said, when I consistently got feedback that I need to go back to bedside, that I said, you know, there's gotta be some wisdom behind this that I'm not seeing right now. So when I went back, you know, and, and keep in mind, 10 years, they're a little under 10 years and, and I go back and I am just blown away by changes that have taken place. You know, you're talking about new medical diagnoses like COVID. You're talking about new medications and you know, policy changes and different roles. You know, there's now there's critical care nurse practitioners, now there's PAs and there's, you know, so it's, it's a whole new arena. And, and even the standard of care in some cases changed. So, you know, the school thought the dogma back then is not the same as it, were, it is now. So I can now, you know, in hindsight, I see the wisdom and I see the, the reason why they wanted me to return to bedside and just get that, get those skill set, you know, refresh those skill set. And that way it was only to my benefit. It was only to help me be a better student and a future CRNA. Absolutely. And I want to touch and circle back on something that you said. So you said that you reached out to like four five program directors. That is a big anxiety point for a lot of people. And that is one of your strengths is you always put yourself out there and you're like, I'm going to reach out. What's the worst case? And I, I try to tell people this, but like you already have a no by not doing anything. So what's the worst case scenario, right? Is you learn something. So try to, I want to kind of break down the fear behind reaching out to program directors here. Can you tell us a bit about your process, how you went about finding their contact information or emails, and kind of like what you said to them, how you phrased it, some things that people can take away if they have some anxiety, like, oh man, I really should reach out to this program director, but I feel totally weird about it and really insecure about it. Like, what do I even say? How do I go about it? So can you walk us through kind of your process? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just, I want to give credit to my, my father, who is all about networking and he instilled that in me as a, at a young age and I took it ever since ever since I was young I was I, I can think back into uh, to reasons why I got this job or why I got into this and it's because of somebody you know or somebody knows somebody <laughs> and that, Absolutely. It, it's so valuable mm -hmm. and it's a 
it's a life skill. And, uh, and so that's what I did. And I actually reached out, I probably reached out to 15 program directors in the form of emails and, and a Zoom, Zoom calls as well. And I met a couple in person. At that time, when I applied to four schools, those were just the four. But in total, it was about 15. And, and so what I started to do is I compiled an email and I just basically gave a brief introduction of who I am, where I'm at in life, brief background. And I attached my, my CV and um, I attached a few other documents just to kind of help them understand, you know, give them the context. Hey, this is who I am. And what do you think I should do to get into your program? And like transcripts, did you adjust? Did you attach your transcripts yes. as well? Transcripts, okay. yes, thank you. So they, all of them reached out back and some took longer than others. Some, it was a day or two. Others, it was like, you know, six months later. But I got an email back and in all of my emails, I said, whatever advice you can give to, to give me the best chance. And also, if there's a chance we can meet either on the phone or, you know, Zoom in, in any capacity, because I wanted to take it to the next level of communication and because it makes it more personal and they really get a sense of who you are because obviously we know email is only, you only get you so far. So yeah, that's, this is what I, I did. And I'll tell you to, to answer your question, you know, for, for those who may be nervous or maybe they're you know, naturally introverts or it, it gets easy. It, the first couple of times you speak to a program director, you're not, you don't really know how to phrase your question and they'll, they may have, you know, only two minutes and, they, you know, come on the phone and they're like, okay, so how can I help you? And you're like, oh, I had everything prepared and I was going to tell them, you know, who I was and I was going to be like really charming, but now they want to get to the point and then you get frazzled, but it gets easier. Mm -hmm. It gets, mm -hmm. it gets much mm -hmm. easier. And then you, you, you develop like, it, it's, it's enjoyable to actually talk to these program directors and pick their brain and and see, oh, this is the type of student you're looking for. You're giving me gems right now. You're giving me secrets to, you know, mm -hmm. how I can get in. And I, I'll never forget the, the one, well, she was the assistant program director, but she was very just personable. And she took the time to really get to know me. And it was a Zoom visit. And she was like, okay, listen, you know, or what, and, and we didn't even talk CRNA anything. She just, she just, we started by asking, hey, you know, I asked her where her name came, you know, what was her name? What did it mean? And because I like names, I, I think they're pretty interesting. And so she's, she went in and told me her whole family history and where the name originated. And that's what we bonded on. And I told her where my name originated. And, and then she said, you know what, um, this is what you have to do. And she gave me one, two, three. And, you know, mm -hmm. I went and went to the in information session on campus and I met her and, and so it was a, that's, that's what you have to do. That, that's a, a strategy, it's a must, in my opinion. You, mm -hmm. you, you cannot go without networking. Absolutely, and if this is the same meeting that I remember mm -hmm. you telling yes. me about how many months ago, I remember you coming back and being just like, we had a great conversation yeah. and you're like, we talked for like an hour and there's such a, 
a gamut of those types of experiences. You are going to get some people, some program directors who are super busy. They've got a thousand things to do. So they will get on the phone with you and be like, hey, how can I help you? They're happy to help you, but they want to get to right. the point. So that is absolutely valid advice. Have your list of three questions, make your statement, and then ask for a next step, right? Always asking for the next step. So if you're on the phone, hey, would it be possible if I come and sit in on a class? Because we've had people do that. They've Applicants have sat in on classes, current students, and that's a huge networking opportunity, right? So always go into it with the with the idea of, okay, what's next? Can I, okay, I'm going to be in this in the city for your open house. Can I set up a time to meet with you? Okay, is there a student that I can talk to? So what's next? So that's a really good tip. And that is a huge, huge thing that sets applicants apart in a, an extremely competitive applicant process is that human-to-human connection. And you're not doing it to be schmoozy, to try to, you know, sneak answers out of them or try to weasel your way in. It's honestly, people want students in their program that they connect with and that they feel would be a good fit, right? And we want CRNAs in the profession, same thing, who we're going to lean on in emergencies, who we want taking care of our loved ones. It's really hard to tell that from an email or you know, just an application, but if I can put a name or at least a face to the name and kind of remember, oh yeah, Monir spoke with him. I think that was this guy who we talked about X, Y, Z. We talked about the origin of my name. Oh yeah, I liked him. All of those little things are going to add up. All, all those little touch points are going to add up. So that is where I see the most success. I tell everybody I work with this, go to AANA meetings, go to your state meetings, network with CRNAs, shadow as much as you can. You never know who knows who because it's a very, very small community. Reach out to program directors so this episode is per- perfect for them. So thank you for sharing that Absolutely. tidbit. So I want to I switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about your GPA and what classes you took and kind of how long that prerequisite course process was for you. Because I really see applicants struggling with looking at their GPA, maybe if they had a lower undergraduate GPA, and they're really discouraged because, you know, maybe they got like a 3.3. They're like, well, I got like a B minus in my physiology class like do I have to retake that and I think people struggle kind of analyzing that so kind of give us a a little history on your GPA and what courses you took and how you kind of came to the conclusion okay I need to retake these classes absolutely and I think everybody well not everybody but many people who try to go back and, and advance their degree will find that they weren't the same student that they were in undergrad as they are now and so that is that was actually encouraging for me. So I graduated, you know, my with my right at a 3.0 GPA. It was actually right under a three. It was a 2.95. So, mm-hmm. and I'm not proud of that. But you know what? It's not how you fall. It's how you land. And so, I I went back after being told by, you know, the program directors, hey, this class in particular you need to take. This class in particular you need to take. So, I took that advice. I retook them. I took chemistry again, and I took physics undergraduate level, and then I took a graduate level physiology. And for those classes in particular, A, it was the classes that the program directors recommended, and B, you know, as the listeners know, each program has a set of completely different requirements, class requirements. Some don't require physics, some do. Some majority of them require statistics. Um, and every applicant is unique to their, 
their grades, obviously. So the, what, what I actually found was interesting is how I was a, a learner then and how I was a learner now. Retaking undergraduate physics that, you know, a high schooler can just ace me in. You know, how am I going to keep up with it with a high schooler? And, and I actually, I, I got into the material. I was like, wow, physics is kind of cool, you know? And so I started, you know, getting into it and I got an A in it. And then I went back and I did chemistry and I dreaded chemistry because I said, you know, I didn't do so well in chemistry. But I was like, wow, this, so that's what that meant, you know? And that's, oh, okay, so now I'm getting it. Uh, why didn't I think of that back then? But I got an A in chemistry as well. And physiology, because it was a physiology from a CRNA school, it gave me a, an insight and almost like a portal into what CRNA school is going to be like. And that class was very challenging. And I was, I dedicated a lot of time to it. And I did get an A in it, but it was, it was very challenging. And, and it gave me a, um, it kind of lit a fire in me and I said, oh, this is, this is what it's about. I have to be prepared. And also it, it gave me, it, it prepared me on how to study on the concepts of CRNA school and what, what I'm about to get myself into. Yeah, I think that that particular graduate level class is a popular class among applicants and it's very challenging. I remember when you were in the midst of studying for that, very difficult. So good job for getting A's in all of those. And it's true. I love what you said. It's not about how you fall, it's how you land. That is a new one. I have not heard that before, yes. but I love that. You can use it. It's about how you come back with enthusiasm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Credit yeah. here. I'll have to say that every time exactly. I say it. But it's how you come back the next day with enthusiasm, right? Even in clinicals, when you get to clinicals, you're going to have terrible days. You're going to do everything wrong, it feels like. But that doesn't carry over to the next day. You're like, okay, I feel terrible, but I'm going to, what can I learn from this? And tomorrow I'm going to come back and do it better. And that's the mindset that you have. And that is what I know is going to make you successful is because you have that perspective already. And so when you were hearing that you needed to take these three classes over again, I'm sure that was frustrating because it's adding time to your timeline. But how long, like, did you take every class individually or did any of them overlap? And how long did that whole process take? Was this, okay, I crowned them in in six months or it, you took it over the course of like a year? Right, yeah, it was over the course of a year and, and some people can do it, some people can cram it, that's their, given the circumstances of their situation and their lifestyle. Me, I, because I was back at the bedside, I had to, and I have a family, I had to prioritize and I had to relearn how to study and how to get into the, I guess what you could call it, like the study mode or the and, student mindset student again. Mindset again, and mm -hmm. that was probably the challenging. But that was the most challenging part of it. But I I adapted quickly, and but I didn't want to be overzealous. I figured like, okay, if this is a if this is my goal, a CRNA school is my goal. I'm going to be deliberate, and I'm going to make A's because that's what the program director said. <laughs> And if I get a B, I will not do, I will not meet their expectations. And so I had that going in and that, you know, made me more rigid and make me more focused. And it really helped me, you know, make those A's. Good, good. Yeah. And I, 
that's true, the expectation when you're retaking this, these classes is that you get an A. You know, if you if you got a B minus in chemistry and you take it again and you got a B plus, good. But there are people who have done the same thing and they've gotten A's. So that's a very hard thing for people to hear because B's are not bad. B's are good. B pluses are good. But we really want to see those A's. There are extremely competitive programs out there where they are looking at those science grades and they have a pile for A's. Everybody got A's in one pile and then the pile of people who did not get all A's. And so I don't mean to say that to be discouraging, but I really want to stress if you are going to be retaking science classes, dedicate the 12 weeks or however long that program runs, clear your schedule, take it seriously, because you don't want to be spending $1,200 on a class to get a B, right? So I, it's one of the things that people struggle with the most is I find myself repeating is start earlier. So if you have to take the three classes, yeah, plan that out over a year because everybody's working. Everybody's tired. People are burnt out, right? We need to schedule in family time and like self-care time. And you don't want to go into a CRNA program already being overworked and burnt out. So taking those three courses over a year, I think is plenty of breathing room. That's really good advice. And one thing I do want to ask you now that, and a lot of people who have families and have kids, they wonder if it's doable for them because, you know, they're not single and 26. They're, you know, maybe in their 30s or 40s and have children or, and they're married. Do you find that the people in your program, what's the split on married with kids? Actually, you might not have met all of them, but what is your personal opinion? How, does that feel doable for you? Well, what is some advice that you can give to people who are wondering, oh, can I do this if I if I have small kids or if I'm married? Sure. I appreciate that question because that's that was one of the deterrent not deterrence, but it was one of the the thoughts in the back of my head going into CRNA school with a family and me being in my thirties. I out of my cohort there is I would say sixty percent of us. All of us except one is married. And I say 60% of us have children. So, mm -hmm. and it's out of a small cohort, it's about 13 of us. So, I mean, roughly speaking, the point is it's, it, we're talking about, you know, my cohort has um, similar situations as I do. Some even have, one of my classmates has three kids and a large majority of my class, they're still working like, some are working like part-time some are working, some are working not full time, but some are working part time. Some are working PRN. Some are juggling, you know, marriage, kids, work, school, and it's a, uh, it's difficult and it's, it's, but it's doable. It's absolutely doable. So the point is that I want to illustrate is not everybody is in their early mid twenties, single or unmarried and with no kids and. No, it's, it's, it's people who have gone through similar things and have similar responsibilities as I do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think the key is to have buy-in from your partner and your spouse and your family and have conversations with them about what the next three years will look like what the expectation is from you as far as family commitments go, have conversations with your parents, with your siblings, just to kind of understand that life looks a little differently. It's going to look a little different for the next couple of years. 
The other thing that is helpful, I'm sure, and as time goes on and as you guys like meet more and get have get togethers is your spouses are going to be able to lean on support with each other and they're going to be able to connect and bond over the fact that they're kind of all commiserating together and they're all in the same boat. And one thing that I think a lot of people worry about is the the stress that it that school puts on like a marriage or relationship. And I I think that's scary for a lot of people, but it's like any stressful situation in life. Stressful situations in life just accentuate cracks. They might not cause new ones, but whatever problems are there, they just there's just more pressure sitting on those weak spots. So I think a lot of people get very nervous about that, but it's just like any other high stress situation. It's not any different. It's it's going to be about communication and setting expectations and coping mechanisms and keeping the the two way street of communication open regularly. So I, I, a lot of people in my program were married. Many of them had kids. I was not married at the time. I was dating my now husband, but 50-50 of us had kids and were married. So it was definitely doable. There was somebody in my class who was in his 40s, had like four kids, somebody in the class above me who also had four kids who had a bunch of medical needs as well. So there was just the gamut of personal commitments and like, you know, outside responsibilities that ranged from I have no responsibilities to Mm -hmm. like, I have to spend a lot of time with my family and my kids. So it's definitely doable comes down to time management and using your time wisely and planning ahead. So absolutely. I I, if you're you're listening to this, and you're married with children, just know that you can, you can do it, you can survive in Sierra New School. Um, And I just want to add one more thing to that, you know, just to piggyback off what you said, which was, I mean, right on. And, and being in the program and being married, um, you, you absolutely have to, it's essential. And you said, it, you said it perfectly. You have to set expectations because if you go in assuming something and you don't meet your partner's expectations or, or they're expecting you to do something and you didn't know that, it might accentuate those cracks that you were talking about, you know, and, and it just, mm-hmm. any problem that was, it will come up and resurface. So it's, you know, that's what my wife and I did. We had many conversations and we just talked about it. And even now we, we talk about everything, even from the smallest thing, we just talk about, it. okay, hey, honey, what do you, what do you want out of this? You have to tell me, you know, just what exactly you want me to do. <laughs> And it, it's, mm-hmm. it goes day mm-hmm. by day. It's like, okay, I'm going to be in the library studying from this time to this time. Do you need me to, to pick up something on the way home from the grocery store? Do you need me to help out around the house? And so having those conversations about any and everything, that's, to me, that's the most, has been the most successful thing in, in, in a marriage and doing CRNA school simultaneously. Right. Absolutely. Because the truth is you're probably studying on, studying on the weekends, yeah. probably most weekends, nine to five. You know, it's it's a full day that you're gone. And then maybe after your daughter goes to sleep, you're doing some more studying. Like it's it's you have to set time periods for breaks, but it's not like an undergrad where you maybe could take the weekends off unless you had like a test on Monday than you were studying. But in CRNA school, it's a lot of 90% of your free time, you are going to feel like you want to be studying. There's always something more that you could read about or try to memorize better or try to understand better. So it's very easy to want to just, because of that pressure, 
spend every free hour that you have studying. And that can be very isolating for your spouse and your family. But I think for those of us, when you have kids and have a spouse, it you just have to be a little more intentional with your free time and say, okay, I'm going to study from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. I'm going to take a break for three hours for bedtime. And then I'm going to pick back up at eight o'clock after the kids go to sleep and having that schedule with your spouse and being like, okay, I'm going to help for these two, three hours. And then I'm back at it. It's just being very clear with them that the, the time commitment from you might just not be the same as it was when you were working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and yeah. you, you also give them a peace of mind too, you know, and because they are making a sacrifice for you. And so the least I can do is be transparent and help ease their, ease my wife's, you know, I guess, expectation. You're like, what's, what's the, word the word here? You're like, let me try right. let me <laughs> try <laughs> What's the word? This is being yes, recorded. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the expectation. Right, right. Just being very clear yeah. about when she can expect you, like when she should expect you and how you can help when you are available. Right. So... Yeah, absolutely. So are there any last tips that you have for our listeners? Any words of wisdom? Anything that you'd like to impart on them? Final pieces of advice? Yeah, here? absolutely. I mean, I can go on for a long time, but I know time is limited. <laughs> There's so much more that I still I, I wanted to say, but I, it, because it's such a, you know, the, the piece of wisdom that I will, will share is that it's such a, an undertaking to go to CRNA school. And it's, but it's a, a huge reward, right? And you have to prepare. And that's, that's the best thing that I can say. That is, it's a multifaceted approach and preparation where you have to, you know, consider your, your finances. It's a whole other topic, but social, social mm -hmm. support, um, faith, that that's something that you, is important to you. Mm -hmm. Networking that you mentioned, Sachi, is like networking has been pivotal and a game changer, essentially. Attending these meetings, attending their, their state ANA or even a national mm -hmm. ANA, going to one of these conferences. There's so many opportunities for uh, networking. And there's just so much more resources now that there was when I, you know, I, I started the nursing in 2010. Mm -hmm. And, you mm -hmm. know, so my, my piece of advice is essentially it's a, it's a multifaceted approach. And it requires so many things that can happen in parallel or, you know, one at a time with the, the goal of, of the target that you see. But you also have to know the type of person that you are and not to try to be like, you know, all of these other CRNAs or SRNAs that you may see on social media. Just get to know who you are. Like, like I said, who I was. I like this type of, you know, problem solving with this patient population, it just all came together in a nice formula. And this is where I'm at now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think the key is you have to be willing to put in the work. You can tell somebody exactly what to do. I can tell somebody exactly what they should do, but we're not going to be the ones doing it. It's up to that person to plan for a year, to take three classes over again, to spend money and go to an AANA meeting. Exactly to put themselves out there in an uncomfortable situation and go up to somebody that they feel very intimidated by and introducing themselves with confidence and saying, hi, I'm Sachi and I'm interested in applying to your program. I was wondering if you have a second, I'd like to ask you a few questions, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it comes down to the fact that you have to be the one doing that and 
it's fine if you're not up for it because there's somebody else who is up for it. So I just want to say that not in like a mean way, but just in a way that's kind of puts a little bit of like lights a fire under people to say, hey, it's not people are going to be doing these things. It's not going to be so abnormal for you to exactly what you said, network, email program directors, attend meetings, try to approach the application process with that multifaceted approach that you said and look at your next year at from all angles and say, okay, what can I do to maximize my efforts in the next year? Because you don't want to be doing this again, right? So creating a plan, starting early, coming up with a a few key things that you know you have to do, like whether you've gotten feedback from a CRNA mentor or a program director, and really mapping that out and figuring out, okay, how am I going to achieve this? How am I going to get there? And really taking every step to heart because like you said, you don't know if you're going to apply to programs again the next year, but the advice that they give you probably is going to apply to multiple programs and it's only going to help. So you gave us such wonderful advice, Munir. I'm so proud of you. You have worked so hard over the last 10 plus years, but really in the last couple of years, applying again and networking and it is all paid off and it all will continue to pay off when you graduate. It's going to go by in a blink of an eye. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. And I agree. We have so much more to talk about. Maybe next year when you're in clinicals, we'll have to revisit and have you back on the podcast. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. And I would love, I accept your invitation back already. Yeah. And I, one one last thing, I do want to give you, you know, recognition for the work you're doing. And, you know, you, you've been influential on me and, and even networking to, to, to know who you are was through Joy Haley, who, you know, this is how you, so mm-hmm. you see, we are, this conversation right now is as a result of networking. And I, w- I would just like Absolutely. to you know, take a take a moment just to say thank you, because you really helped me along the way in more ways than you than you know. And I'm sure you are having that kind of influence on your listeners as well. So keep doing what you're doing, Sachi. Oh, thanks, Sunir. It's been a pleasure to help you. But all right, we will have to have you back on the podcast. But thanks for coming on. Thanks, Sachi.